From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Harfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're a few days into December, and the countdown to Christmas is rolling along, but another important count is also here. It's the Christmas bird count. Throughout the hour, we'll talk about this year's bird count. We'll discuss its origins, what bird watchers can expect this year, and how to participate. And as always, we welcome your pet questions for Dr. Major and general wildlife questions and observations you want to share. Join the conversation this morning with a phone call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're a few days into December, and the countdown to Christmas is rolling along. Another important count is also here. It's the Christmas bird count. Throughout the hour, we'll talk about this year's bird count, discussing its origins, what bird watchers can expect this year, and how to participate. Also, we think Dr. Major is on his way. Sometimes he gets stuck in traffic on the way to the studio, but if he shows up, uh, always uh, ready to take your pet questions as well. Join the conversation with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So if you've ever participated in a bird count, the Christmas bird count or another one, uh, we'd love to hear your experiences with it. Also, count the birds in your yard. What's showing up uh, in your yard as you uh, go through this December? Uh, and always, we'd like to remind you, that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it does repeat Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning, Libby. Hope that you're doing well this morning. Good morning. I'm doing very well. So um, I think last week you mentioned that you've been involved in, I think, did you, uh, remind me again, you helped write the book about Fanny Cook. Is that right? Yes. Yes. It's been, um, oh gosh, it's kind of where to start. It's one of those projects that's followed me for many years. And um, Dorothy Sean, a, a wonderful woman author from Delta State, she was chairman of the, the Literature and Letters um, staff at Delta State and a professor there for a long time, a beloved professor. And she passed away during the second edit. And I had been... You know, I was still at the museum at that point, and so I had all, I was surrounded by Miss Cook's thing, so I was kind of feeding information to Dorothy as she needed it and finding stuff, and Mary Stevens, the librarian at the museum, was doing a lot of the same thing. And uh, so we had gotten, we had come a long way with Dorothy, and then when she passed away, it was just heartbreaking. And uh, a good friend of hers, Marion Barnwell, who had taught with her in Delta State and was uh, a friend of hers that lived here in Jackson now, uh, finally we kind of joined forces with the blessing of her family and with Dorothy's family and finished the book. And, uh, you know, we at that point we pretty much knew where Dorothy was headed, and so most of it is definitely Dorothy's words. Mm -hmm. We just 
you know, added a little that we could find in her notes and things that that um that we knew she was headed in that direction. Then we put that information in, added appendices and pictures and all that. And University Press came out with the book just a few days ago, actually. It's one of those kind of just-in-time-for-Christmas presents thing. So we've been doing a mad dash all around the state, signing books and talking about Fanny Cook. And again, so remind folks, uh, if they've not heard us discuss this before, who Fanny Cook is. Okay, Fanny Cook was the, well, I guess... She was an author. She wrote about Mississippi wildlife. She was the founder of the Natural Science Museum and the Game and Fish Commission, which is, of course, all a part of one agency. And she um, she uh, returned to Mississippi after being at the um, in Washington D.C. and being involved with the Smithsonian. And she was at George Washington University in graduate school, and realized kind of what bad shape things were here in Mississippi, and she was coming and going a lot, already collecting in the state and taking things to the Smithsonian. And at some point she decided, I just need to go home. And that was 25, 26, 1925 or 26. She um, came home for good and started um, an organization here in the state to lobby for game laws. And uh, it all worked out. Well, actually, you know, it kind of fits in with our topic of Christmas bird count, too, mm-hmm. because one of the things, it's it's hard to even imagine kind of how different life was because we're all used to game laws and protective legislation for habitat and things, but there was none of that. We were the last state to get a, a agency that was dedicated to wildlife, and so the last state to get any game laws, which means... <clears throat> Anybody who was, well, they weren't even violators. They were now violators in other states, so they were coming here. Remember the the um, big fashion statement where women would have the plumes, mm-hmm. big feathers in their hats and all? Well, those all came from birds, most of them recently killed. And Florida's wildlife had just really been decimated. The bird rookeries were being wiped out for plumes because it was really a worldwide fashion, not just in the United States. So... Um, Florida passed laws prohibiting that. And then there was also what they called market hunting. So uh, you could just, like, uh, outside organization could come into the state and hire people to round up the game. They would usually have a big slaughter of whatever. Usually it was deer, but it could, you know, be anything, really, because, there were, like I said, there were no laws to protect. Wild turkey, uh, quail any animal that they thought would be good for meat to sell, and then they would have a slaughter close to a railroad car, Mm. pack all the meat on ice, go to Memphis, St. Louis, Chicago. So anyway, market hunting and plume hunting were getting to be a very big deal in Mississippi because other states had outlawed it. Mm -hmm. And that was really what sparked Fanny Cook to decide, I'd better get home and kind of take care of this. And I guess today, if if a woman had did what she did, and I don't want this yeah. to sound sexist or anything, but at that time, it it seems like it was unusual for a woman to be doing what she was doing. Oh yeah, I think it really was. She um uh, she, she was fearless when she went to the field. It was kind of amazing, and it started fairly early with her. I think there's you know there are a lot of gaps of things that we don't know about her yet that maybe we'll find out in going around the state talking about the book, but she um. In um, 1913, she spent the summer 
in Colorado and took classes there in uh, Boulder. And um, as far as we can tell, it's because she wanted to go see the mountains. So, and uh, later she kind of told a few stories about being in the mountains. She went to Panama for a while. A couple of years she taught there when they were building the Panama Canal. She went to Wyoming the year after that and was a principal in a school there, so got to have that mountain experience another time. And then she went to, to Washington, D.C., and she was not a wealthy person. Not, you know, I guess her family was middle class. Her daddy was a tomato farmer in Crystal Springs. Mm-hmm. So she um, she had to work, and she was a teacher, and it sounds like a good teacher, a very interested teacher wherever she went. And uh, when she went to Washington, though, she worked for the IRS for several years, <laughs> and that funded her her outdoor activities and classes at George Washington University. So anyway, it's a long kind of story. But how it relates to the Christmas bird counts is that about the same time that she was up there, really just a little bit before she had gotten up there, there was a lot of interest in conservation. And the curator of birds at the American Museum in New York had decided to start what he called Christmas bird counts. In, it was 1900 was the year, and he did that because of plume hunting and just kind of wanton slaughter. It used to be kind of a, a deal that around the Christmas holidays people would go out and just shoot birds and keep account of how many things they'd kill, you know, not things they were necessarily eating or anything. So it was it was pretty detrimental, and he... Actually, it's a pretty big thing to have turned things around so that people would go outside and start counting, counting birds instead of, instead of shooting them. <laughs> but uh, when he, let's see, like in 2013, there were over 71,000 people out there counting birds. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you, you did mention, though, that uh, you're on a bit of a book tour. Do you have some stops or some uh, events that you'd like yes, to tell us about? Um, t- this afternoon, in fact, well, today at noon, I'll be speaking at um, the library in Crystal Springs, which was Miss Cook's hometown. Mm-hmm. She grew up there. So um, that'll be fun at noon at the library, and everything's free. We'll have a program about Miss Cook, and then we will have books for sale if anybody's interested in getting a book. All right. Um, and then I guess I'll okay. mention then the next night, tomorrow night, Friday, is Cajun Christmas at the museum. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'll be signing books there as well from 5 o'clock till about 7. Cajun Christmas runs on until about 8.30, and I guess I'll stay as long as anybody's interested in talking about Fanny Cook and buying books. All right. Dr. Major has made it into the studio, so good morning, Dr. Major. Good to see you this morning. Good morning. Uh, before we go to break, we have a question on the line for you, so we invite uh, Dean, who's called in from Ashland this morning. Dean, you're on the air, so go ahead, please. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I've got an older dog. She's about 12 years old, and she has uh, reoccurring problems with stuff in her ears. I, I don't think it's an arachnid because... I give her the medication to kill the fleas and ticks and whatnot that it would bite her. So I think it's bacterial or fungal. I just wonder if there's any topical or over-the-counter or anything you can suggest that, that, that might help me uh, clear that up for her. What kind of dog is this? It's it's an old pit bull. Okay. Well, that's, she's a good dog, I'm sure. And, she uh, is a sweetheart. Yes, one, is. one of the things that we see a lot of times is... And, most of the ear infections have a bacterial component and a yeast, a malassezia yeast-type infection. Now, have you been putting any medication in the ears? 
uh, I've uh, washed them out with a cotton swab and I put in some Bactine. Okay. I was thinking of trying to use some triple biotic or something like that, but I wanted to ask someone first. Right. Ideally, if this has been an ongoing process, I would suggest that uh, you get into your vet and actually have them do a culture and sensitivity. In other words, just a swab is what they would right. do. And uh, then uh, use an appropriate antibiotic based on that culture and sensitivity. We do see some resistant bacteria, especially in, in, our, in our dog's ears. Uh, there are some good medications out there, uh, and some of these may be uh, over-the-counter. A lot of them aren't, but I would suggest uh, if you could get her in, have a culture and sensitivity done, and then treat accordingly. I think that would be your best bet. Good luck with well, her. But, Sounds like well, a good thank, dog. Sure. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Major. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for the call, Dean. Let's uh, take a quick break. When we get back, we will talk about the Christmas bird count. And also, Dr. Major is here ready for some pet questions. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. If you'd like to join in this morning, call one eight seven seven mpb ring The phone number is one 672 7464 We'll be back with more after this. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hardfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today, we're looking for any pet questions you have for Dr. Major. We're also talking about the Christmas bird count. But as always, any kind of wildlife questions or observations you want to share with us, please feel free to call in. So to join the conversation, it's a simple phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. thought I would work in a quick question to Dr. Major about my cat. Um, he he seems to be eating a lot more lately, and I'm wondering, even on an indoor animal, do they sense that this is the time of year when things get a little colder, and is he putting on a little winter fat, possibly, or what might be the cause there? I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I see this happen all the time, and he'll go through a spell of maybe not eating much, and mm-hmm. then... It uh, picks up as long as he's not gaining excessive weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows what he's doing doing during the day when you're not there? <laughs> he may be doing aerobics or something <laughs> like that. You know. But uh, I, have you changed food? No, me okay, same, same stuff. Food. Yeah, I I guess my question thing would be I can't explain why he's eating more. It could have to do with seasonal. Of course, you know they, even though he's inside, uh, there's less uh, daylight hours now, so it may be that primal urge to lay on a layer of fat even though he's going to hibernate <laughs> yeah well and as you said the good thing is he doesn't appear to be getting any fatter although he is a big cat so i'm wondering if maybe he's just you know a growing a growing boy as it were and just needs a little bit more uh su- sustenance throughout the day but i've okay. noticed because normally he would leave you know a couple of morsels in the bowl but now i've noticed the last couple of times that he is he's munching down every single kibble in there so how, how old is he now uh he's a little bit over two years i think yeah. He should be pretty well grown, but uh, yeah, he's he's still a kitten kind of. So yeah, uh, and and you're right. Who, who knows? Uh, he's he's active enough when I'm there, so I can't. I can only begin to imagine what he might be doing uh, bet, when I'm not there. I bet he's asleep right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's probably true. Okay, we got another pet question on the line, so we say good morning to Israel in Jackson. You're on the air, so go ahead, please. Good morning. How are you? Good. I have a Border Collie who uh, reigns from Virginia, and upon bringing him to Mississippi, it appears as though he may have a problem tolerating allergies here. He gnaws, 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 gnaws on his paws, and I've tried drugs and everything else. And I'm trying to figure out if he may be allergic to something. If there is, if there's a test I can have done, or yes. if there's any how, kind of remedy. How long? How long have you been here? I'm, I brought him to Mississippi in 2011. Okay, so he's been here for a while. I'm sorry, 2012. Yeah. And I guess the thing would be that uh, can you tell if it's seasonal or not? Does it worsen certain times of the year? Well, first we had we had a problem with uh, fleas. Right. And we were able to find the right flea medicine. He had a skin disorder. We got rid of the skin disorder. Now it's the paws. Right. This actually started a couple of years ago with the paws. Right. And I guess the questions would be, where is he? Does he stay during Indoor. the day? During the day, is he in a crate or is he just have free range of the house? Oh, no, he's free range. Okay. We, and a lot of times the paw thing gets to be a habit, and they will sit there, especially at night when you're trying to sleep, and lick their paws, uh, making some pretty good sounds. Uh, yeah. I would say that uh, you sound like you've tried different medicines. Have you tried Apoquil? I don't remember the name. Apoquil is a non-steroidal uh, drug that is used for allergies, and it does help in a lot of cases might talk to your vet about that. And there are allergy tests that can be done. Okay. So that just have a discussion with your veterinarian about the best way to go for that. And uh, good luck. It's licking the paws and chewing on their feet. That is a def- definite issue. Okay. All right. Uh, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're looking for your pet questions this morning as we also talk about the Christmas bird count. we got some open phone lines, so the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you've ever participated in the Christmas bird count or another bird count, we'd love to hear your experiences with it. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, if you were going to the backyard to count the birds in your yard, what would you be seeing? What sort of birds are you seeing uh, in your yard this time of year? Again, if you'd be willing to share with us, we'd love to hear from you at one eight seven seven mpb ring So let me, we were talking originally, uh, and you told us a little bit about the, mm-hmm. the origin of the bird count. Do we know why they chose Christmas, the end of the year, to, to do the bird count? Because that's traditionally when they had seen more of that market hunting kind of mm-hmm. hunting. Families were together, and it was, it's, I guess it's always been kind of traditional to hunt. I don't know. As a, as a kid, that's one of the things my family, Daddy always wanted to go home for Christmas so he could <laughs> hunt where he knew. Yeah, he was bird hunting usually. But uh, so I, I think that was just the impetus is families get together and here's something else for them to do. And um, so what about the origins in Mississippi? Well, in Mississippi, we don't know exactly, I think, who had the first count, but the Pinewoods Audubon has really got a record that they're proud of. They've been having bird counts for 43 years now okay, consistently. And, uh, you know, Larry Basin was on with us last year talking about the bird counts. They're very proud of it. And their count this year is going to be on Saturday, December the 31st. 
and they also do a feeder count with theirs. So if you're somebody in the area around Hattiesburg and you don't want to get outside for whatever reason and you want to watch your bird feeder, count your birds, and, and you can... The easiest thing to do is get online, and it, it's it's not Piney Woods, it's Pine Woods, Pine Woods Audubon, and you can find out how to report the birds that you see that day. If you want to... Um, to go with them and volunteer, though, and they take all volunteers. You don't have to know your birds. They have enough expert birders that it's a good time. Each route is a a 15-mile radius circle, and then there's, you know, routes within those, and generally they go on the same roads that they do every year. So these guys, for 43 years, they're making records from the exact same places, which makes it very valuable scientifically, and it makes it a lot of fun, too. Of course, they try to outdo the year before and find more <laughs> birds because you count every single bird. If mm-hmm. there's 12 crows over there, you need to count every one of them, which <laughs> makes it kind of fun for kids, too, young people. You know, you can put them with a, with a scope or binoculars and let them start counting. But that's that's the, the one that I know about that's the oldest in the state. There may be somebody might know an older one that should call in. I know that there were they were doing bird counts 80 years ago in Mississippi, but I don't know if they've consistently continued those. So 40-plus years here in Mississippi, I think you said 1900 for kind of the origins of it. Yeah. And so, man, there must be just heaps of, of, of information, of data. How, why is this important? What, what do we learn by doing bird counts? Well, it's all about populations. Where birds are, are populations moving, are um, what's healthy habitat or what was healthy habitat and what is now. If you see a place that's continuously losing a certain kind of suite of bird species, then you need to take notice, obviously. If there's an increase somewhere, that's interesting too. Find out why. And usually changes have to do with habitat changes. Mm -hmm. You know, that's it's all about food and water and cover and for for all animals and birds particularly. A lot of times, too, it would be seasonal because, you know, you can have a flock of blackbirds uh, come in in the hundreds uh, if it's cold, pushing them down mm-hmm. this way. So yeah. it, it could be. And now there is always a lot of luck. That's why it's good to have it for lots of years yeah. because if you did two or three years, you might have – just good luck one year, or if it's really cold and rainy and or snowy or whatever, then you got an off year. But when you can average all those years, look back over you know over a hundred years of data, then you really start kind of you can weed out the weird years and and see what's really happening. So to to use a bird analogy, it's almost like a canary in a coal mine. In other words, these are trends that we can study. And as you mentioned, if you see uh, some sort mm-hmm. of shift over a, a period of time, then you can go and maybe begin to understand what that is. And if it's a, if it's a habitat-related thing, uh, that might signal that, hey, we need to change some uh-huh. behaviors, practices, that sort of thing. Yeah. Like, you know, we've talked with people when they say, you know, why is it I don't have any more cardinals on my feeder? We don't worry if something like that happens one year. It's probably just some very localized source of food change or something. You know, somebody's somebody else's yard has got more berries in it that day or that year even. But when if you see something, a trend over several years, that's when it's probably worth kind of saying, what do you think's going on? There could be a source of um, 
you know, even a source of poison or something, something that's that's harming birds. But um, it's hard to know that until you really look at data. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're talking today about the Christmas bird count. Also, Dr. Major here, ready for your pet questions. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. Next on the line, we've got Anthony uh, from Vicksburg. Good morning, Anthony. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Yes, I have a, a pup who's uh, been pregnant for a while. I didn't actually catch the date whenever she got um, pregnant initially, but she seems to be pushing um, since last night. Not heavy pushing. Um, and I was kind of just wanting to know when I should uh, look out and maybe take her to the vet. Okay. Um, maybe if she's having like trouble. Okay, what what kind of dog is this? She's a um, she's actually a miniature Catahoula Cur. She's a okay. uh, mixed breed. And she was uh, mated with. She was uh, a uh, another. It was a Jack Russell Terrier okay. and uh, another smaller dog. So it's a right. dog so, that's about the same size. Right, similar size. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any uh, vaginal discharge? Um, not that I can tell. She's been going to the bathroom outside for quite a while, um, and very, very often. Right. Um, but I don't see anything unusual. It sounds like she's close. A lot of times, uh, they will strain a little bit, uh, uh, but if she's continually straining and not producing anything, you do need to get her into your vet. Or if you see a strange discharge, such as a green discharge and no puppies, uh, that could mean that the placenta has uh, let loose from the uterus and that you're getting this green discharge, which could be serious if she cannot pass a particular puppy. So I would suggest that uh, sounds like she's very close and keep a close watch on her. And if you detect any issues like we just discussed, get her into the vet to see what's okay. going on. Okay? Good luck Thank to you. So Thank you. Uh, thanks for the call, Anthony. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're looking for your call this morning, a pet question, or uh, comments about some of the birds that you've been seeing in your backyard as we talk about the Christmas bird count. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 We'll be back with more after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield is retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're talking today about the Christmas bird count, also looking for your pet questions. We've got some open phone lines, so if you want to call in to join the conversation, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 Or you could send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Looks like uh, someone left us a message in our little chat box asking if the museum could stuff a frozen owl. Um, yeah, it was kind of a strange call, well, but the, the person... Well, possible. Uh, I guess they need to call and give us some more information, But or if you want to just call the Natural Science Museum and see if it's an owl that they need, yes. Yeah, they, it was a bit of a strange call. The person called in that. and said I'm they had an owl. I'm assuming somebody's found a dead owl. Yeah. 
Yeah, they found it on the side of the I street. Think, yeah, mm-hmm. found a dead owl on the side of the street. So yeah, yeah that's usually what what and people. It is a smart idea to go ahead and put it, double bag it and put it in your freezer and take it to the museum. That's what I do when I find something dead. Right, be sure not to uh, leave it lying in your car, not from the standpoint of odor, but a lot of times they will have some mites or uh, I don't mm-hmm. know, some particular type insect, and you don't want to have to detox your car. Right, so. <laughs> and yeah. demite your car. That would yeah. be a different yeah. situation. Yeah, and, and odor can be significant, yeah. too. So, right. yeah. Um, in fact, a lot of times people will pack it on ice and bring it to the museum so it doesn't thaw on the way. But that would be cool but if you were able first, to. Yeah. Call first, especially this time of year when people are taking off for Christmas and things. Call and be sure there's somebody there to to take yeah. that owl from you. All right. Uh, got another call on the line. We've got uh, James and Jackson who's called in today. Good morning, James. Good morning. Go ahead. Uh, I adopted a uh, dog I found in a cornfield in Yazoo County about a month ago, and he's a great little dog, no problems, except he's very aggressive with strange dogs he doesn't know. And I was wondering if there's a way I could get him more acclimated to uh, being around other dogs. Right. How how old do you think he is? He's about a year old. Right. What type of dog? Just a mixed breed or? Yeah, probably a lab or yeah. collie mix. A lot of a lot of this may have to do with his prior treatment or prior neglect. Uh, it's hard to find sometimes a dog that he would uh, actually like. Uh, you, if you've got friends that have dogs, you might have them come over. And kind of, well, I've got another dog, yeah. and they get along great. It's okay, strange dogs, and okay. he immediately attacks uh, okay. quite viciously. So he is very uh, territorial, I guess you would say, as far as not wanting anything to uh, getting his area. That's right. going to be a difficult thing to control. Uh, I would just be very careful with strange dogs because it sounds like he's capable of uh, inflicting some some injury. Uh, you know, you could work at training him. Is he in the yard pretty much? I mean, he's not a house dog, is he? He's he's both. Both. Okay. I have an invisible fence. Right, there. right. So the problem with the invisible fence would be that dogs can come into your yard uh, that uh, he can't, you know, your dogs can't go out, but other dogs could come in. Right. And I guess that could be a problem. Uh just go through some basic training with him, if you would. Uh, you know, leash, heel, stay, this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that helps in some cases and maybe try to introduce him to some other dogs uh, that your friends might have, which could help. There are dog uh, behaviorists in the area, and that might be, you could talk to your vet about getting uh, the number of uh, somebody that could possibly help you with that. But good luck. Okay. Good luck to you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for the call, James. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Uh, next, we'll go to Gulfport. Rich on the line. Good morning, Rich. Uh, good morning. I have a question about owls. Okay. Okay. When, when I moved into my uh, new place, there was an owl uh, right outside the, the, the place. And he hooted, you know, at night. And, and then he... Uh, I guess left for a while, but lately he's been back, hooting again in the middle of the night, which uh-huh. I love, you know. Oh, yeah, but, I like to hear him. But uh, are owls, 
Do they usually stay in the same neighborhood? Often they do, and they're fairly long-lived. If, they, if they've got a good place to hunt there, they're looking for mice and rats and things. Uh, can you, I don't know if you want to even try, can you, <laughs> if you can mimic the call, we might be able to tell you what kind of owl, or if you want to listen online, there are yeah. some good recordings. And, and the, oh, owls, the owls have a fairly large range as well, so... You may hear him off in the distance mm-hmm. quite a ways away or either a mate uh, quite a ways away. Uh, yeah, I, m- I mimic his calls. You know, that's fairly easy. Why don't you do that for yeah, us? Yeah, do it for us. Yeah, he, he hoots back, and we go back and forth. I don't know if it's a him or her. Okay. Yeah, well, it, it, have have you not heard an answer when he... Or when 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 one calls, do you not hear an answer from another one yet? If not, they may be looking for know. their mate. They, all sound, they mm-hmm. all sound the same. I don't know if it's one mm-hmm. owl or two owls. Owls nest in the winter, so it won't be long. They'll start pairing up and, and nesting, and then they go ahead and fledge those babies pretty early. So, you know, January, February, March, they'll... So this is a good time for them to to be active and for you to start hearing them. But uh, And you might keep an eye out. If you go outside and do the hooting, the answer, and kind of watch right at dusk instead of, you know, it's so hard to find them at night. But if you go at dusk when um, you can still see, if they'll answer you, he might come down and you can get a good look at him. That's really fun, Rich. You ought to try that. All right. If you've got them talking to you, <laughs> see if you can pull them in and see, see who you're talking to. All right, Rich, uh, good to hear from you again. Uh, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're talking today about the Christmas bird count, also taking pet questions from Dr. Major. Um, we got a call on the line, but first let me just uh, – you mentioned that uh, in, on these bird counts that there's usually like a, a, a square mile radius. How do they how do they go about covering all of that territory with the volunteers? Okay, well, yeah, it'll be a, a a fifteen mile radius. It's a circle generally that they just draw on a map, and they'll pick out roads because they you know they don't tend to just go cross country. They drive a place and get out and look there. And generally, they'll have spotting scopes and binoculars. So if you're a volunteer and you don't, if you've got binoculars, great. If you don't. You know, you can show up anyway, but do call mm-hmm. ahead on any of these and give them a little bit of warning. But uh, they'll decide which roads to take so that even within those consistent <laughs> circles on the map, they're going to be pretty consistent on which roads they go on. So that way, you know, you, they get better data that way. But it would almost be like sort of starting in the center of the circle and just kind of fanning out that to that radius. Is that sort of how they cover? Or that? they might start on one edge. Kind of depends on what your what the roads look like in that okay. in that circle. And some people will be adventurous and go cross country and walk, and then others will, will stay in their cars. And uh, do you have some area some groups that are participating this yes, year? Yes, yeah. The the Jackson Audubon Society, they're doing their count on December the 30th. That's a Saturday from 8 to 3. And if you go online and look for Jackson Audubon Society, there's a phone number you can call to let them know that you want to join them. Eagle Lake has a December the 22nd. That's a Friday. 
and the um, you can talk to the Jackson Audubon people about that as well. Okay. That same number will work for them. There's a Washington County, it's Yazoo um, National Wildlife Refuge in Lake Washington, which would be a really fun one. Mm-hmm. That's December the 26th. And again, if you that same contact number will give you information about about any of those three. So you've got one around the Jackson area. It's, I think it, it's kind of close to the reservoir. Then you've got Eagle Lake, and then you've got um, Yazoo National Wildlife Refuge in Lake Washington. Uh, the Vicksburg bird count will be December the 23rd, and if you look for Vicksburg Audubon Society online, you'll find a number. And then we talked about the Pine Woods we know they've got a good one, and there's also a number to contact. Uh, there are several on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi. You can call the um, Audubon Nature Center in Pascagoula, and they'll, they could direct you to bird counts, too. Okay. And I think more will probably be popping up online as we go. There are several in Louisiana. If you're, if you're a listener from Louisiana, there are a lot of good chances for you to volunteer and i just googled louisiana audubon bird counts Mm -hmm. and and got several pop-ups yeah so i think uh, for folks in different parts of the state or as you said folks listening in from other uh, states that would probably be the best way to start would be the audubon for their state and i'm sure that on their web page the they would have individual you know the bird counts going on and you could find one in your area and I would imagine they're always looking for more volunteers. Yes. Yeah. Everybody seems to think that this is a good time for you to learn a little bit more about birding, too. And several of the bird counts will probably be doing the feeder counts with their count. So you could they'll they'll tell you what information they want you to record. And then you can you can be a part of it. That's a fun thing for kids. I did that when my daughter was small. We would do those feeder counts. Yeah, and also that does sound, you know, the bird count in general does sound like if it's a, a scouting organization maybe or a church group or something, this does sound. Because, again, it's important information, but you're getting folks out uh, and getting some exercise as well. So that's always an added plus. Yeah. <clears throat> Back to the phone lines we go. Uh, Michael has called in from Starkville. Go ahead, Michael. You're on the air. Uh, good morning, folks. Hey, I have a question that's not, uh, not very relevant, but um, I grew up in the Northeast. And I was an uh, avid uh, upland uh, uh uh, hunter of you know, shooting rabbits, pheasants at uh, at lunchtime on the dairy farm. But uh, I'm curious why pheasants have never really became uh, become established in the deep south or Mississippi, Louisiana area. Is it uh, strictly habitat or feed or? Uh, yeah, and I don't know all the factors involved, but we don't pheasants are not native down here and people have tried you know when anytime you try to force something like that it doesn't usually work very well and I don't think there's been much success for anybody that's tried to introduce them we don't really recommend that you do that anyway but um, some of it is habitat and um, temperature they like to be in a cooler habitat I used to raise pheasants and quail back when I was in high school and the pheasants did pretty good uh, but I never tried or attempted to let any uh, let any loose, and certainly I think you're right. I think the habitat as well as the temperature are big factors. Yeah, uh, uh, I really miss pheasants and, and grouse. Uh, great, great birds, but yeah, the rough grouse in Pennsylvania, state bird. Right. Uh, but uh, oh yeah, they're uh, beautiful. Yeah. So, but I've, I've seen uh, uh, 
habitat where turkeys and pheasants have, uh, uh, you know, living in the same habitat. But I guess uh, one thing about different about the Northeast versus here is the amount of uh, uh, cornfields that pheasants seem to really love. Yeah. Yeah, you may just have to plan that winter hunting trip up north <laughs> to get your pheasants, huh? All right, Michael, appreciate your call. Let's take one final break this hour. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're looking for any pet question you have for Dr. Major this morning. We're also talking about the Christmas bird count. We've got some open phone lines, so if you'd like to join the conversation, call 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more after this. An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're looking for any pet questions you have for Dr. Major this morning. Also talking about birds, specifically counting birds in the Christmas bird count. Uh, Libby has talked about a number of areas where if you're interested, uh, you can go to join in these bird counts. It's a really important information. It's been going on for so long that it really compiles sort of trends in bird populations and uh, gives some useful information for scientists to uh, parse through. Um, and if you'd like to join our conversation this morning, the phone call is uh, the phone number that is is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send an email to animals at mpbonline dot org. So let me. I mean, do they? Since mm-hmm. this is sort of trends and that sort of thing, it's like. I mean, if you if there are ten owls and you count nine, I mean, it's not exactly. I mean, it's sort of giving a general idea of. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so, and again, I know it would be different things in, in different parts of the state, but say here in the Jackson area, if uh, folks participated in the one that I think you mentioned was uh, the last week in December, what, mm-hmm. what are some of the birds that folks are, are likely able to see this time okay, of year? Okay, when I've gone, the things that I think have impressed me the most are eagles and hawks and owls. You know, a lot of uh, Eagles and hawks particularly will come. We are their their southern migration. Instead of going on to South America, this is where they're coming from, the northern. So we have, well, we certainly have all of these same species, hawks and owls and eagles that live here, residents, we get an influx of even more. So you're much more likely to see an eagle in Mississippi in the winter than you are in the summer. Mm -hmm. So that's fun to do. Plus the trees don't have... As many leaves, the deciduous <laughs> trees, of course. So it's a little easier to find hawks, and uh, that's that's always exciting. And having the advantage of having some expert birders mm-hmm. that can point things out, there'll be there'll be a lot of folks that are really good at birding by ear, and that's a neat thing. You might come away learning a couple of bird songs. And it's easier to learn it that way than any other way. You know, you can listen, at least it is for me, listening to the tapes or listening online and kind of practicing is there's something about, especially if you can see that bird and hear it and you're with somebody else to confirm what it is, that it'll stick with you better. 
Yeah, and I think that some some folks who might be sort of reluctant if if they're not into birding or not have done it before, uh, but the, I think you're right. The fact that you have some folks there with you that are experienced and know mm-hmm. what you're doing, I think it would make uh, the experience much more meaningful. And again, as we talked about scouting groups, school groups, that sort of thing, uh, much more educational as well when you've got some, some mm-hmm. folks there that kind of know what's going on and, and can be the, the leaders of the pack, as it were. Yeah, and while they, I'm sure they would love for you to stay the whole day with them, if you can't stay all day, just when you call, let them know how long you can stay. You, you don't have to commit you don't have to be out there six hours <laughs> <laughs> or eight. Got some more phone calls to get to. We start again in Pontotoc. Linda's on the line. Good morning, Linda. Go ahead, please. Yes. Um, my miniature dachshund, when I put a collar on her, she freezes. And then she lays down and rolls and cries. <laughs> and I cannot break that. And I don't know if, it's a, if there's a secret to this or if she's just going to always be that way. It's just when you put the collar on? Yes. I've, I've had similar experience with J.W. Uh, my wife laughs, laughs about that because I think she tried to lead him one day, and he did exactly the same thing. He just kind of laid over on his side and uh, decided, no, you're not going to do this. So She won't even wear a collar. So what about a harness? No, she won't wear a harness. Okay, well, <laughs> there may be some callers that our listeners that have some suggestions with this. I really don't know how you're going to do that especially if she does exactly what you said. So uh, maybe she, you know, just not going to go with that. Right, right. Well, well if any callers have any information, <laughs> please let me know. We will. Thank right. you. Okay, Th- thank thanks you. for the call, Linda. Uh, let's move on. Next, we'll go to Alabama. Joe is on the line. Good morning, Joe. Go ahead. Yes, hello. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, I-, I was listening to the caller earlier who said there was no quail or birds, pheasants, and stuff around? Yes. I've seen quail, for real-life quail, kicking around in Florida hmm. in right. the winter months. Yeah. I, I don't know if somebody let them loose, but we actually uh, would put little signs around <laughs> their nests. Yeah. Uh, and, they, they, and, and, you know, we put, like, little orange tape so that when we mowed grass, we wouldn't it was right off a golf course there in um, in Bay Hill. Yeah, well, by Disney. Yeah, and quail are native to Alabama, Mississippi, Florida. So that in, oh, okay. in fact, they used to be much more common than they are now. That's a big question oh, mark. My God, is they what's were happening? Beautiful. I first yeah. time I saw one, I flipped out. Did you so, hear? Um, did you hear the Bob White song? When they st- no, you know what I used to hear. You know, you got the kill deer. Yes. I don't know if that's the official name. Yeah, that's but, you know, a kill deer. Yeah, injured, they act all injured when you get near their nest. Right. Don't let you know, and they, they 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 move off, and as soon as you get close to them, they get healthy again. Right. Yes, <laughs> and that's a strange sound too, isn't it? It does sound mournful. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and their eyes are—they get really freaked out. You get near their nest, and you don't know where. And I, we were trying to save the nest. But they wouldn't let us know where the heck it was. <laughs> right. Yeah, and they don't make much of a nest. A kill deer, basically, they're just going to have eggs on the ground, and you got to be careful because right. they're so well camouflaged. They, they'll even nest. Oh, on my goodness. And they're speckled and everything. Um, right. The other thing was, I just heard this lady, I've got a pit bull, a real nice red-nosed pit, beautiful dog, wonderful dog. He can't stand to have his collar off. <laughs> If, it jing- if it's not jingling around his neck, you take his collar off, he just freezes. Like you could take him to the 
the dog show <laughs> and, and freeze them and say, oh, look, this is the perfect uh, blah, 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 blah. And, and you can rub and, and he just And you lay it over his neck. And he comes over to you, and he's like, go ahead, tie it on. I, I can't stand this. <laughs> oh, it's whatever you get weird. used to, isn't it? That's yeah. amazing, yeah. 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 I've got good. one more question. Okay. I'm in an area now where there's a lot of stray dogs, but there's a lot of houses and trailers and whatnot around. Do you have any advice? I mean, some of them look bedraggled, and some of them not. Some of them come to you, some of them don't. I'm not afraid of dogs, but I'd be afraid to take one home and end up dead in the middle of the night kind of right well you know it's a difficult situation i i would try to contact your local humane society that would that would be good uh stray dogs you know there may not be any leash laws in the area you're talking about so it'd be difficult if unless a city or uh, county uh officer uh, from the standpoint of picking them up, but I would talk to your uh, Humane Society, whatever that is in that area, and see if they can give you some assistance with these dogs, okay? All right. <clears throat> That's going to wrap us up for today. Bill, sorry. Uh, Phil from Greenwood, sorry we couldn't get to your phone call. Just ran out of time. Great show this morning. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating 20 years of conserving Mississippi's lands, waters, and wildlife and from contributions from listeners like you. Our show was produced today by Java Chapman, and our call screener was Michelle McAdoo. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's MPB's Season Pass, and we'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.